Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Hello, Rise Together listeners. Dave here coming to you from a minivan. Uh, <laughs> it is one of those days where everyone needs a ride. And I thought, uh, man, I really want to get this episode in because it's so fresh on my mind and also, I don't know how I'm going to do it if I don't do it while multitasking in a car. So here we go. Uh, I am in real time driving to the vet. God bless Jeffrey Hollis. The uh, recovery continues. The wound that is healing is something that also requires uh, bandages to be uh, replaced and um, some cleaning of the wound to take place. And so every couple of days... Rather than us just doing it exclusively, we take him back to the vet to make sure that uh, he is healing properly. And this ends up being one of those days. I uh, just picked up my oldest from theater practice. And after I drop Jeffrey off, we'll be heading to the middle school for a basketball game with Mr. Sawyer Hollis. It is a full night in Dripping Springs, Texas. But uh, I, I wanted to just talk a little bit about masterminds or masterminding, the idea of getting together with a group of people to help you workshop the things that you need help with, to be inspired by others that are doing well with uh, some of the insights in how what's working well for them is working, and um, just the power of connection. So uh, I just came off of this, uh, it was Friday through Tuesday morning. So um, three full, three full days of sitting in a room with some of the most extraordinary people that I've ever met in my entire life that have come together around once a year over the course of the last five years. And uh, it is one of these things that I look forward to so much every single year uh, because of the way that it is uh, a chance just to reconnect with some great people, but also... Um, every single time, whatever it is that is happening in my life, whether there are good things happening or there is struggle that is happening, there is some really beautiful vulnerability that takes place in these rooms that normalizes what it is to be human, what it is to, uh, you know, have such a deep desire for impact, but also have to battle through hard days and hard circumstance. And uh, man, my cup, it's full. It is a full cup. Welcome to Rise Together. My name's Dave Hollis. I'm the host of this show where we're going to hopefully have you feeling a little more normal in this, the human experience, 
maybe see yourself even in some of the stories that are told or have your appreciation of what it means to be human expanded by someone who's come on as a guest who's had a different life experience. In all of it, we are trying our best in community to learn from each other, to grow, and maybe even have a little bit more compassion for what it's like to walk in each other's shoes. When we do, we all rise together. Um, so I think I'll start at the beginning. Um, I did get a bunch of questions from y'all on uh, Instagram and on Facebook. And so I'm going to answer your questions in this episode as well. Thank you for sending them over. But one of the first questions that people sent was, what the heck is a mastermind? So in the simplest terms, a mastermind is just the idea of finding a way to put yourself in a room with other people who are in some ways in a similar uh pursuit, whether it's a work pursuit or a family pursuit, but like somehow there's shared value. There's some overlap in what each of you are doing or aspiring to be and a varied level of expertise in individual disciplines that would allow any individual person this chance to learn a little bit from someone who's a master of one part of the whole that you are trying to pursue. So, um, I have been a part of masterminds for years, uh, back in, shoot, 2016, 2017, prior to leaving Disney, as Rachel and I were contemplating this crazy idea of me leaving and us working together, we decided, you know what, we need to find some other people who have some experience starting something new in entrepreneurship and just spend time with them once a month on a call to have our concerns heard or have our um, curiosity scratched. And we just reached out to a handful of people that we knew who had previously built something, but were early on in the process. And so for the person who's listening, who's like, how the heck do you get to go to a mastermind? Well, the simplest answer is you make something if it doesn't already exist that you find yourself interested in. And so we did that. It was uh, an entree to what would be bigger groups and more experienced groups. But I think the hope for any mastermind is that you're finding yourself in a room, like I said a little bit earlier, like having people who are further along their journey in some component of where you'd hope to go that can normalize that journey, that can teach a little bit on how they made mistakes and learn from those mistakes so that you don't have to make the mistakes yourself. Um, for this mastermind, this is, I mean, so much credit is due to Brendan Burchard. <laughs> this guy, if you do not know him, he's one of the, just one of the best people on the stinking planet. He has a heart for service. He has been working in personal development for years, 25 years. I mean, like he's just, he's one of the OGs. And uh, there was an opportunity in 2018 to have me join he and seven or eight other guys on a fishing trip that gave birth to this thing that now exists on an annual basis. And at the time, as much as I'd had some experience in a mastermind, um, I'll be honest, like it wasn't even something that I uh, had a handle on how valuable it could be with some of the people at these higher levels until I found myself immersed inside of it. 
but he, in a way that I think is somewhat counter-cultural or counterintuitive, um, he has this air or this spirit of abundance and has set up this mastermind in a way that says, none of us are competing. None of us are adversaries. All of us are doing something that hopefully will help other people in their life. And the idea of coming together, and by the way, this is not a mastermind that you pay for. He just like out of the generosity of his heart and his desire to have goodness multiplied, was like, what if I got a bunch of people who were doing good, brought them together and asked them that the only thing that they have to pay to be here is a commitment to double down on the good that they are attempting to deliver to the world. Heck yeah, let's go. And so we come into this space and it becomes this opportunity to celebrate each other's successes and support each other with whatever struggle is happening in each of their individual lives and problem solve for the things that are happening inside of each of their individual businesses or individual lives. I mean, heck, a bunch of the stuff that we end up diving into has nothing to do with business and everything to do with preservation of mental health, the strengthening of relationships, personal or otherwise. And, um, and it's, just, it's just been such a beautiful thing. So for me, uh, I end up heading in on Friday uh, I happened to be in California and uh, was doing some work there and was so blessed to be invited to jump into a plane that uh, one of the people inside the group uh, happened to own. And I got to fly up into Napa with this crew as a little amuse-bouche, a little uh, pre-meal delicious bite of conversation and connection. And... Um, my first experience in this weekend happens to have me sitting across from Lewis Howes while we're sitting on the plane. And I've known Lewis for a long time. He is an extraordinary human. He is uh, now dating someone named Martha who is as extraordinary as he is. And um, there's just something really beautiful about his own growth journey, beautiful about the way that they're approaching their relationship. But we sat down and... He asked how things were going, and I was surprised, to be honest, that uh, I guess this isn't that surprising since I cry all the time, um, but I started crying, and I, I was emotional about the way it felt coming into this mastermind when there um, was just a different feel for me relative to the last and the one before that and the one before that. You know, the first couple masterminds with this group that I was a part of, um, the first two anyway, we were scaling the Hollis company at a pretty swift pace. And so being able to come in and have conversation about what was working and the things we were figuring out and the way that the community was rallying around what was being created, uh, man, it felt so good. The last of these masterminds happened to be in August of 2021. And so I came into that last mastermind with a book coming out in a month, with a documentary that was meant to be in movie theaters, with a kid's book that was going to follow right behind it, with the first of a fitness challenge with Heidi that was going to be taken off in September. Like There were things. 
And I come in this time having super intentionally slowed down in 2022. And as much as, yes, I'm still doing this podcast and did release the kids book and have been doing the fitness challenges, there's just been less in a really, really beautiful way, but less when you're walking into a group that is as prolific as this group is made this experience for me feel a little intimidating, uh, just to be super honest, because I didn't have as much to talk about or to brag about or to um, imposture over. And, um, and so I got emotional. And part of the emotion was this recognition that the bravado with which I walked into the last mastermind was in some ways false <laughs> because as much as I'm so proud of Built Through Courage and was so excited for all of what was being created then, there were still things that I had not yet dealt with myself. And so as much as I felt like I had a lot of the answers inside of a book, I didn't have enough time putting in the reps to address my own healing journey, to address my own grief, to address my own uh, negative coping mechanisms, to address a whole host of things. And so as much as, man, I came in with swagger last time that almost, what, a month after I really spiraled into a not ideal place, um, I had this ability to like see, look, I'm, I'm not coming in with as much to shout about from a kind of what are you producing standpoint, but I do have some pride for being in a better, healthier place. But that better, healthier place was a thing that could only come because of a decision to really deliberately slow down, to spend time in treatment, to spend time with therapy, to spend time, you know, like just working on me. Um, and he looked at me, Lewis, and he said, you're still grieving. Oh God, it makes me emotional now. You're still grieving. And uh, it's a really beautiful thing uh, to have friends that with a super simple sentence, like you're still grieving, um, that they can make you feel seen and that they can make that experience of still being in the middle of working through things, in the middle of healing, in the middle of, like that I'm still in the middle of what I'm working through is something that's hard sometimes for me to acknowledge and is beautiful for me to be able to be seen by someone who I respect and love and um, who has just been so generous with his love for me that he could say it and see it. Um, it was like a warm hug. It was just uh, such a lovely thing and, and a really beautiful as it turns out, right? Like, I don't think there's any coincidence. I think I was meant to sit across from him on this plane ride as we're coming up. It was, it was the exact thing that I needed to hear um, as I'm getting ready to walk in. So when we get to the mastermind itself, um, I'm not going to share any of the detail of what people are talking about inside the room because part of the rules um, is that everything that happens inside the room is something that stays inside the room. Um, but I did, there were a few, you know, poignant one-liners. There were a few big takeaways that are specifically practically relevant to me um, that I do want to share. But from a format perspective, the way that this all came together was we're going to be here for three days. 
We're going to start each day at 8 a.m. and we're going to finish at 6 p.m. We're going to take some breaks where you guys can connect during the day. But for the most part, you're going to come in and we're going to be locked down and we're going to have conversation about topics. But more than the topics, we're going to have conversation where each of you are afforded 15 to 20 minutes to go through each of five different things. At Alma, we know the connection between you and your therapist matters. But if you're already feeling stressed and burnt out, the idea of trying to find a therapist you really connect with can be overwhelming. That's why Alma's focused on helping you find the right therapist for you. When you browse their online directory, you can filter your search based on the qualities that are most important to you. Then you can book a free 15-minute consultation call with any therapist you're interested in seeing. So you can get a feel for whether they're the right fit before you commit to a full-length session. Alma also makes it easy for mental health care providers to navigate insurance. That's why 95% of therapists in their directory accept insurance for sessions. So you can find care that's affordable without stressing about the paperwork. You want to talk to someone, but not just anyone. Alma is there to help you find the right fit. Visit HelloAlma.com Therapy60 to schedule a free consultation today. That's HelloAlma.com Therapy60. What are you grateful for? What are you excited about? What's working? Where are you struggling? And where do you need help? Right? So every person, there were about 40 people that were participating. Every person got, there was a 15-minute timer just to keep us on track. Sometimes we went as long as 20 minutes with someone if they were like deep in the middle of uh, something when the timer went off. But every person started with just a declaration of gratitude a conversation around what they were excited about. It could be professional, it could be personal. What it was that was working in their life right now. Again, could be a professional thing. Here's what's working in my business. Could be a personal thing. Here's what's working in my relationship or here's what's working in my health journey. Then where are you struggling and where do you need help? Like how can this group provide you assistance that would accelerate your ability to have impact on other people. And it was beautiful. It's like such a simple framework, but it was absolutely beautiful. And uh, each of us went around for all of, you know, almost the entirety of the time that we were there. Um, we just went around and had these conversations one after the next. Um, there were tissue boxes everywhere. Um, and one of the things I think that's most beautiful about this group and one of the things that's most beautiful in a mastermind is if you can get to a place where there is legitimate vulnerability that gives people permission to be real and not <laughs> some curated version of who you might think they are online or who you think they are in their business or who they you know, would maybe hope for you to think they are. Um, the more that people were willing to just be super honest and transparent about what was really happening in their life, you appreciate, number one, that of course, every single person in that room is human. They have the same spectrum of emotions and the same challenges and struggles that each of us end up having. And being able to see that on display while they're also hyper successful. So like, so, so successful. And oh, you also struggle? Oh, you're also working through things? You Oh, you also need help? Um, I think it makes anyone who um, in the isolation of struggling without actually having these kind of conversations, it makes you feel like you're normal for experiencing 
the things that you inevitably, of course, are meant to experience when you're growing or when you're building or when you're scaling or when you're just trying to be a human, making it through a stinking day. On the first day, we started out with Brendan explaining a little bit of a framework of the three phases that have, over the history of time, just repeated themselves over and over and over again. You can see it after, uh, you know, recession. You can see it after war. You can see it after, like, any kind of major event that creates something of a reset. This kind of three-step cycle or three-step pattern is just something that happens every single time. And coming out of COVID, where obviously it was jarring and disarming and something that definitely threw people for a loop, um, we're all experiencing something like this in real time as well. And I thought I would just give a little of what he explained because all of us live in one of these stages. And uh, if you're maybe not even aware of where you're at, self-awareness is one of those first steps of um, having an opportunity to make some traction, to make some, uh, some decisions on how you can move from one stage to the next. So the first stage is the stage that he described as protection, phase one. It's where fear lives. It's where resistance lives. It's uh, where you're seeking security more than anything else. And so for anyone who felt disoriented in pandemic or disoriented in economic downturn or disoriented in uh, going from working inside of offices to working remote, um, all of the things that come in phase one, number one, they're super normal, um, but they're also a thing that you have to, in diagnosing that this is where you're at, make some decisions about how you're going to move from phase one to phase two. Um, when, you, when you find yourself in phase one, you tend to be disconnected from the future. You uh, can find your ambition or your dreaming as something that gets compromised. Um, some people will find themselves in a, I'm just going to hold on. I'm just going to retrench. I'm going to go back to what I know as opposed to dreaming of what might exist or what could be possible. Um, and so there's a little bit of like a survival tactic or a survival mechanism that exists for everyone when you find yourself in this first phase, this protective phase. The second phase is a phase that he called coping, right? This is where you've kind of come to terms with this new normal being the thing that it is. There's some adaptation that takes place. This is where a lot of focus on wellness tends to happen, where you realize, oh, this is what the world looks like now. I guess we're going to have to figure out how to be healthy and well, even if it's not what we used to know. And so stress management is a big, huge thing in the second phase. Um, there's, there's a lot of conversation with anyone who's operating a business about vulnerability and empathy with employees during this phase, right? Like trying to understand what it is to walk in their shoes or live their life uh, tends to be super important. People at this phase, they do start to um, question if the adaptation that they've made or the, the changes that they've made are actually working, right? Because um, they may have tried to adapt and it might still be a thing that has them struggling. And because of that struggle, this is a phase that I think is most identified with discouragement. 
and this is again where I think a lot of us are probably still sitting. Shoot, I feel like I've been living in phase two for a decent amount of time. You know, I, I thought that we'd get through this faster is the kind of uh, way of thinking. And man, I thought I'd get through this faster. Um, and when it doesn't happen as fast as I'd like, shoot, yeah, I start to get a little discouraged because it's frustrating to be like, to, to feel stuck. But the third phase and the phase that, you know, he argues and that will probably resonate with you that only maybe 15% of people are actually in is the productive or the progress phase that happens in phase three. This is where you start to hold yourself to a higher standard, where you start to demand some efficiency. Um, and there's this huge riff, of course, that exists between phase two and phase three, because one, so many people are in phase two. It's, um, you know, there's an, I think an epidemic in some instances of discouragement. And when people start to shift, there's clearly going to be some tension from those that are still stuck in discouragement and those that start to taste hope again. But phase three is where you have some rebirth of hunger, where um, there's some internal separation that starts to happening between those that are still stuck in phase two and, and those that have you know, started to find themselves believing in what's possible during phase three. And the opportunity for any of us is to find what it would take, you know, what are the things, what are the tools, what are the uh, you know, frameworks, what kind of meditation practice, what kind of gratitude practice, what kind of morning routine, what, what would it take for us to create something of a performance edge that could move us from phase two to phase three so that we can make it not a thing that keeps us stuck, but make it a thing that actually helps propel us into all of what's next, even if whatever exists right now ends up being hard. And so we started the conversation there, which was a great primer for each person then to share a little bit about, you know, what they're grateful for and what's working and where they're struggling and where they need help. Because I think for each of us in the room, we could identify that there were parts of our lives where we were still stuck in phase two, parts of our lives where we're excited about being in phase three, even some parts of our lives where there's, you know, still some phase one uh, fear or um, insecurity that might still exist. And so after we got done with the, the primer, we just, we jumped in and it became this beautiful, again, just like this coming around a table with people who legitimately were interested in helping in any way that they possibly could. And it was a real wild mix of people who were looking just for some simple and tactical business advice and those that were representing um, some deeper interpersonal or emotional needs with relationship, with advice on, and we had a lot of conversation around friendship. It's a really, really interesting thing that even at a, at a super successful level that many of these humans are at, that we all share this deep desire for connection and we all share this deep desire for friendship. It's a reminder as we sit in the room that, hey, we have access to it. You're all here, but there may in fact need to be a little more intentionality around how we reach out to and show up for and break bread with um, the people that we have an interest in having these deeper relationships and friendships with. When it came to me, um, I ended up talking about this interesting place that I find myself in where after having slowed down as much as I have, 
I, I, I described this last year as a year where so much of what I'd been working on or my identity had been pruned. I feel like I've gone through a pruning season. Um, and pruning is good. Pruning is an important part of how you keep the tree alive. Uh, but pruning is also hard. It's been, um, it's been difficult to try and rewire some of the programming that has existed inside of me so that I can get to some, something closer to freedom. Um, I've talked about this on the show before, but I grew up with uh, a really interesting relationship to achievement in that achievement in whatever form it would take was my access point to love. If I could score the most goals in soccer, memorize the most verses in youth group, get the best grades at school, I would be the recipient of love from those I craved it from the most. And that man was like a really beautiful catalyst for me building a great career inside of entertainment or, you know, a whole host of other things that have driven me over time. But the double-edged part of that sword is that when you become an addict for love through achievement, if achievement is pulled away, a thing that I intentionally did this last year, uh, I'm not going to put a book out. I'm not going to, you know, focus as much on social media. I'm not, if, if you have become in any way uh, accustomed to feeling good about yourself because of the way that people respond to the things that you create, when that goes away, how do you feel about yourself? And so part of the pruning process for me has been this odyssey into how can I love myself irrespective of there being any cheering or booing, yeah, you know, irrespective of any sales, irrespective of any title, irrespective of any status, because so much of the way that I felt about myself when I was by myself in the past tended to be correlated to what was on my business card at Disney or the amount of money that might have been in the bank account or the way that people were responding on social media. And I've come to appreciate that that's a prison <laughs> because if I've got to hustle to feel good about myself, then anytime I take my foot off the gas, I feel like shit. And that's no way to live because I, before I sell a book, before anyone listens to this podcast, before I post something on social media, I'm already good and worthy. I, I like, and so are you, right? Like you don't have to do a damn thing and you're already good. You're already worthy. You are already lovable and you ought to love yourself irrespective of whether people are cheering or booing, irrespective of whether you're selling something or not, irrespective of whether you create anything or not. And I've just been on this odyssey to try and wean myself off of thinking that my worth in some way is connected to what I create. So I give a little preamble in my time. I represented super vulnerably the feelings of walking into a room of my friends with whom I can acknowledge I was previously walking in to have something of my worth affirmed by them because of the way I respect them. And so to walk in and acknowledge, hey, like I've been going through a little bit of a season of what I'd call lost. And I think that there's a really beautiful and important purpose to, to lost uh, because 
uh, at least in my experience in this last year, it's given me the opportunity to find myself, but it doesn't change the fact that it's still a little intimidating to sit in that room and talk about the piece of help that I was asking for was, you know, how have each of you, when you've bumped into something of an existential crisis of, am I doing this work for purpose or am I doing this work for ego? Am I doing this work because it feels ordained by God or am I doing this work to prove something to someone else? How did you get yourself back in the ring? How did you find the courage to push back against the negative self-talk and put yourself back out there? And God, they were just so generous, <laughs> so generous with their feedback. I did, I did get a few questions about um, if this was a faith-based gathering or not. And as much as it, ha it wasn't, you know, designed as something that would put God in the center, there were so many conversations about God over this weekend. Oh, it makes me emotional. Good Lord. Um, there's a, a guy, his name's Ethan Willis. He's just like one of the best people on the planet. And I was, I was talking to him during a sidebar after I shared and was, um, you know, like just, again, like fully, fully naked to, you know, some of my insecurity and some of what I'm still working through. And he put his hand on my shoulder and he just said, how often are you bringing this conversation to God? And I was like, I mean, I pray. He's like, no, 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 no. How often are you bringing all of this, like just fully exposed, fully transparent, all of your insecurity? How often are you bringing this to God? And I was like, not often enough, man. Like, I want to cry about it right now. I wanted to cry about it then. But there were a lot of those kind of moments where we got together and recognized that like none of what has been created by any single person inside of that room is possible without a higher power bestowing gifts on each of the people in the room and, um, and that the, the mandate or the, the thing that comes out of having been given so much is that you have to do a lot with it. And um, that's certainly something that each of these people have done. And um, anyway, it was, um, it was a beautiful thing. So I got a note from somebody today, <laughs> part of my takeaway out of this in a world where I also have a deep desire for really meaningful friendships is that you only like the grass is only green where you water it. And so as much as like this group of people have been, God, they've been so consistent in picking up the phone when I you know, need to have a conversation. I joked in the room, like, man, I got to get better at reaching out when I'm not on the floor of my closet crying. <laughs> like, there is a non-crisis, Dave, and uh, it would be great for you to be friends with him as much as the way that each of you have been so generous in helping me when I'm, you know, not feeling as good as I would like to feel on an every single day basis. But I sent a note. Part of my homework was that I was going to set up recurring meetings, for lack of a better word, with every single person in the room. <laughs> like, we're just going to get something on the calendar 30 minutes. It might be that we talk about work, but hopefully we just talk about what's happening in our lives, how we're feeling, 
what's in like almost even going through the five questions inside the room so that in the 12 to 18 months worth of time that happened between now and the next of the masterminds um, that there is a deeper and more significant connection that there is true and real intimacy and there's friendship. And um, this person that I had sent the note to sent me back a note and he said, yeah, we got to get this on the calendar immediately. And also, um, this is like a humble brag, sorry. But like he just said, look, I want to say thank you for sharing the way that you shared. I mean, I fucking cried. Oops, I freaking cried. Because I was super, you know, I was super emotional in expressing and representing my feelings. And he said, look, I just want to say thank you for, and I happened to be one of the people that went on the earlier end on the first day. He said, your vulnerability was something that gave permission to every other person in the room to be vulnerable. And in a world where I think we can worry of like, what, what will people think if I am not a hundred percent strong or a hundred percent together? Uh, what will, what will it mean? Like it might mean that every other person who's already feeling that feels seen and they feel like it's okay for them to also share because um, I started, I started a cascade of tears and it was awesome. It just like, it made it so much richer and so much more beautiful and so much more connecting, um, because people I think felt safe to, um, have those conversations. Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky, co-founder of the farmer's dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra processed kibble and started eating fresh whole food. The farmer's dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them and easier for you. Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. To that end, uh, I had the gift. Oh, I love this guy so much. If you don't follow Ed Milet, my goodness, what is even happening? I sat across from him at dinner on the first night, and we just talked about everything. He is He's just got the greatest heart in the entire universe. And as I was explaining a little bit of like, man, you know, I think I struggle at times believing that I'm equipped to help other people because I'm still so much a student, because I'm still so much on my own growth journey, because I, gosh, I make plenty of mistakes. And I, you know, like I second guess my ability to have an effect on others while I'm still trying to have an effect on myself. And he told me this story. It's one that he shared in his book, so I'm not speaking out of school. But he told me the story of how his dad had been an alcoholic for his entire life, was, um, you know, as an addict, someone who'd struggled with mental health stuff and um, depression and, and a whole host of things. And at one point was at a super, super low point in his life and had someone come alongside him to convince him to keep going. And he was getting emotional about it. Like, you know, there was beauty in this recognition that his dad was able to keep going, even though there were plenty of reasons to not keep going. But the thing that he was struck by, and when he <laughs> got like most emotional, what he was struck by is that there was someone who came alongside him 
who, because of the fact that they'd also struggled with the thing that he struggled with, was equipped to help him in a way that he, as his son, couldn't. And I thought, man, I mean, he, he's obviously telling me this story for a reason. Like, uh, hey, Dave, I change millions of lives all the time, all around the world. And yet someone who had a story of addiction, someone who had a story of brokenness or hopelessness at some season of their life, they were the one that was best equipped to come alongside my dad when he was contemplating not staying on the planet any longer. And you, yeah, you've had a whole host of interesting things happen in these last handful of years, um, but there are some experiences that you have that will connect you to the person who's going through what you've been through. And so when you have to worry about, when you start worrying about whether you're equipped or not, um, maybe the things that you've been through have perfectly equipped you. Makes me want to cry, cry a little bit. Oh, Ed, just preaching, preaching um, some truth in an environment where, of course, like I am, you know, second guessing and questioning lies <laughs> that, uh, you know, my, my negative self-talk or my insecurity would start to, to, to speak. Uh, there were so many, so many, like, just magic moments. Um, the majority of the group has been uh, the same people over the course of time. Uh, but there were this time maybe seven or eight new people that had not previously been there. And it's just such a cool thing to, I just, I'm, I feel so grateful, honestly, like <laughs> if this story in any way, you're like, Dave, do you realize how ridiculous and unbelievable this is? Like, I, yes, I do. Um, I don't know. I don't know how I find myself so freaking lucky to be able to sit inside of a room like this with these people. But, um, I was able to meet some new people and even see some old, old faces that I hadn't seen before. Like I, gosh, I was so excited to see my friend, Amy Porterfield. If you don't know Amy, she's like one of the most prolific online marketers in the history of online marketing. Um, but she's also just an amazing person. She was somebody who, um, was really, really close friends with Rachel at the time of our divorce. And so as will happen in marriages ending, it just felt strange for me to continue to be um, as friendly as we had been while we were married in the aftermath of divorce. And to be able to see her and hug her and just love on her. I just freaking love this person. Um, it was so good. It just felt like, I don't know, like in a weird way, it felt healing um, to be able to see somebody that I missed and, uh, and I hadn't seen. But I also got introduced to a, a handful of people that I just, I had a deep familiarity with their work, but hadn't previously met them. One, Matthew Hussey. I don't know if you know this guy, but uh, he's a killer. Just such an extraordinary person. Uh, and he and his fiance, Audrey, like we just, there was just such a deep, deep connection with, um, with them. I got to sit next to him at dinner on the last night that we were in town. And it was one of those times where you're just like, have, like 90 minutes went by? What in the world are we even doing? Like we were just so lost in conversation and connection that um, I just know, like I've got a new friend that I didn't even know I needed, but that um, I'm just, I feel so blessed to have. I did go with Heidi. <laughs> 
Um, Heidi and I uh, are not dating any longer. We haven't been for some length of time. Uh, we didn't go so far as to really declare the end of this relationship in part because I think each of us, one, like we've struggled to call it because of, there's just so much love that still exists between the two of us and uh, breaking up is hard to do. But um, she was my she was my guest the first time uh, last last mastermind. And so um, when this one came around, I was like, God, I just I you know, you're my best friend. She's I want to say that she would say that I'm her best friend. And um, even if our relationship has changed and that we're not dating, the idea of getting to share an experience with these people, it just seems silly to not have her there. And it was um, it was just so fun to hang out. We did. <laughs> Social media is so freaking weird. Um, because we were in pictures or videos together, there were a lot of questions about relationship status. <laughs> and uh, we did address that, yes, we uh, have decided to not see each other in that kind of a way anymore. Um, I don't know if you're familiar, but Austin and Phoenix are 972 miles away from each other. I don't know that you're if you're aware or not, but uh, she has four kids, and so do I. That's a lot of kids. And... Uh, we just, you know, we want to be able to really spend some quality time in our individual cities with our humans. And, um, and it still is hard because I have just so much respect for and love for this person. I've never, you know, she showed me love that in a way that I just hadn't experienced in my entire life. And I will forever be grateful for her for that. But um, to be able to share this mastermind experience with her was awesome. It was so much fun. So much fun. Even uh, even as things have changed, I know that we will continue to uh, mix it up. We're still doing some work together. The next of the fitness challenges just started on Monday, and uh, I, I'll do those things with her until uh, the end of time. I love that community. Anyway, um, it was good. Okay, let's get to your questions. You sent a lot of really good questions about masterminding, and uh, I want to be able to answer as many as I can. The Hail for Life asked, how do you not feel imposter syndrome in a room filled with so many incredible people? Well, I addressed it a little bit, and the reality is you feel imposter syndrome when you walk into a room with that many incredible people. And part of the magic of a room like that is your willingness to acknowledge it, which I did. And, and here's what's crazy. Even the most successful people, the very most successful people, experience imposter syndrome. It's not unique to people that are still, you know, like on a lower rung of the ladder. It's a universal feeling. And part of what's beautiful about walking into that room is that you get to see that the things that you have insecurity for are the same things that the super successful also have insecurity for. It's just a part of the human condition. It's part of what it is to walk the planet. Imposter syndrome, uh, it's a thing that we all have to suffer from. P2 Beach Lover asked, what were the most impactful exercises you guys did to help pave your future path? At the end of the um, sessions where we all went around and had conversation about our individual wins and our individual struggles and where we need help, uh, Brendan closed the session with a handful of topic-specific conversations. And so uh, we, we did a deep dive on AI, we did a deep dive on book launches, we did a deep dive on uh, some stuff around podcasts, like we had some good conversations. So I think for each person 
there was probably a little something different that was gleaned because of what they were working on to the next. And so for me, I mean, like the exercise of just being present to greatness <laughs> was incredible for reminding me that I've still got great stuff left to do, that there is a hunger that I have to have impact and that there's something I'm going to have a great year. I just feel so sure that I'm going to have a great year. And sometimes you got to go hang out with people that are also sure that they're going to have a great year to remind you that you're going to have a great year. Um, and so I think maybe the most impactful exercise of them all was just being in a place where the intimacy that is formed out of vulnerability creates this ability for you to see something hopeful because of the hope that someone else in the room already sees. Um, and so that to me, gosh, like I can't even put a price on that or a, a value on that. It was so, so impactful to me. All right. I got to walk into uh, a basketball game. I'm going to finish this episode on the ride home. All right. Sawyer's team won. Congratulations. He's staying to watch the A team play. And I'm going to record this while he and his buddy cheer on his friends. Um, before I get back to your questions, I thought I would go through and share just a handful of the uh, golden nuggets that came out of the conversation in the room. One of the things that Dean Graziosi said uh, as he was giving some advice to someone was that fuzzy targets never get hit. And I think for any of us, if we're operating a business, if we're trying to do all things, if we're trying to uh, offer a whole host of things, if we have any kind of clarity problem with what it is that we're trying to uh, ultimately serve the audience with, we're in trouble. Um, so I love that a fuzzy target never gets hit. You got to try and really hone in on what you are attempting to do. It might even just be one thing. What's the one thing that you're trying to solve? What's the one thing that you're trying to offer value for? Uh, Tom Bilyeu said this. Well, he was giving advice to someone and man, it was such a good word. Whoever has the strongest home life takes the biggest risks, right? Like making sure that uh, you have your, your house, your relationships, your, you know, relationship with your kids, like in order, that's when you end up taking the biggest risk. That's when you're like enabled to, or you're, you're equipped to really put yourself out there and do things that uh, other people might not be able to. Oh, I love that. All right, let's see who else had a great piece of advice. I've got pages and pages of notes. I mean, I, I told the story about Ed, but one of the things that he said is he was giving advice to someone, shame and guilt are the lowest form of vibration. They are the thing that uh, keeps us from our greatness. We're most qualified to help the person that we used to be. We're most qualified to help the person that we used to be. So whatever you've been through, <laughs> whatever you've been through, um, the things that you've been through aren't an indictment of you not being worthy of helping someone else. They are the things that equip you to help the people that uh, are probably going through that same exact thing in real time. I love that. Trent Shelton, he had, God, he had so many good one-liners, but, um, you know, he said, he said something to the effect of that our calling isn't always what the world celebrates us for. Our calling isn't always what, what the world celebrates us for. 
So staying connected to whether it's your knowing or the voice of God or, you know, whatever it ends up being that would have you reminding yourself, nope, this is why I'm here. And even if it's not something that people are going to totally appreciate or are going to celebrate, staying connected to that is where you find, you find yourself most connected to purpose. In that same kind of vein, Anthony Truck said something uh, that really stuck with me. I've done too much work in the dark to have anyone take anything away from me in the light. It's what you do when nobody's watching. Interestingly, when I went through sharing what I shared, Jay Shetty um, was one of the people that was giving me some advice. And he said something that just like, it rings so true and is also hard to hear. He just said like, you got to keep putting in the reps. In this day and age, there is a little bit of a, a hope that there's a shortcut or the hope that there's a fast pass or a fast track to success. And there just isn't. Like, you just have to keep putting in the reps was a good word that I need to hear because I do get impatient. Like anyone gets impatient. <laughs> I, I want to learn and I'm sick of learning because most of my lessons come through something that feels hard or is painful. And yet the decision to just keep putting in the reps is the way that you end up becoming this person that you'd hope to become. Oh, my buddy, Randy Garn. I mean, I just, I love this. Uh, I love this quote that he threw out there. Do as much as you can for as many as you can for as long as you can, and you'll never go hungry. Do as much as you can for as many as you can for as long as you can, and you'll never go hungry. He followed it up, by the way, by saying, um, do it with no expectation of getting anything from having done it, um, which is a beautiful thing, like just giving for the sake of giving, not giving for the hope of getting something in return. I love that. Oh, man. When Ed was sharing, he, uh, he said this line, and I just, I love it. I love it. He said, Find Jesus in everyone. Find Jesus in everyone. You know, like there, I think there's something sacred and beautiful in everyone. There is. And even the people that are hurting, who let that hurt show up in a way that might hurt you, there's still a, there's still a part of divinity inside of that person. There's still something beautiful inside of that person. God, let's see what else. I didn't write down who said this, but, um, we spent a lot of time talking about integrity, doing the things you say you're going to do when you say you're going to do them. Um, but integrity is also how you spend your time. If you are committing to doing something that is disconnected from, um, you know, what you suggest you want to be or suggest, um, you know, what you want to try and accomplish, then you're out of integrity. And so your time, of course, ends up also being uh, a signal a bellwether of, uh, of integrity. There was a lot of conversation. It was really beautiful. You know, there's people of all ages inside of this room, some people in their early thirties, some people in their mid fifties, and, um, plenty of people have had unbelievable rebirth, rebrand, re everything later in life. Um, I mean, Mel Robbins was there and I just love Mel to death. And, you know, she has created everything that she's created in the aftermath 
of having had a career as a lawyer and after having had a whole host of things that just weren't working perfectly, but as a sign of someone who had the audacity to believe that she could create this extraordinary life with all of its extraordinary impact later in life, says to anyone in the room, it's never too late. It's never too, it's just never too late. All right, let's see, let's see. Oh, this is a good one. So we had a long conversation about the saying, this too shall pass. Um, which was this like beautiful reminder that the hard times, of course, will pass. But for this room, it was also an interesting conversation around the reality that some of the good times will pass also. And so making sure that we're always present with gratitude and reverence and appreciation for the good that already exists, because we don't know when it might be taken away. We don't know what's going to happen next. Um, that's, <laughs> that's a good word and a good reminder. Like I, like I know, I, I didn't think that the thing that we were building at the Hollis company would ever end. And there is ridiculousness in having not contemplated that, that our marriage could end or that the business could end or that the thing that we were, you know, attempting to have impact through could be changed. And yet here we are. And so I, I feel like in the last couple of years, man, I've lived both sides of it. I've lived the, yep, this too shall pass. The good, the good can pass. And then, you know, the hard can pass as well as I'm uh, on the other side in so many ways of some interestingly hard, but really important seasons in life. Gosh, I don't know who said this, but um, live a life that outlives you. We had a lot of conversation about legacy, right? Like as, uh, as the people in the room are contemplating their why, like, why do I do this? Like, what is it that's motivating me? Right? There's a lot of very successful people in the room and uh, money is not a motivator. Impact is the motivator. And the conversation around how you might have such an effect on other people that it has rippling generational downstream impact. Um, man, that is a thing to aim for. Ooh, here's a good one-liner. Ambition is divine. The things that we feel compelled to pursue, especially when it's in the service of others, um, that it comes from a higher power, that it comes from a God who is hoping that you will take the mantle of doing the work to help other people. I love that. Uh, I mentioned AI. Uh, there were uh, four big things that were mentioned around artificial intelligence, which I still, to be honest, I'm debating, is this good? Is this terrifying? Is this the solution that we've been waiting for or the thing that will create the next world war that we will need a Terminator for? And I think it's both, <laughs> to be totally honest. But um, man, there is so much advancement in artificial intelligence, whether it's chat GPT or anything else. Um, it's coming and uh, it's going to be a thing. Um, but there were four things that Brendan walked us through. Um, one, you can prompt anything. Two, you can fix anything. Three, you can find anything. And four, you can clip anything. If you are wondering what art artificial intelligence is or how it might be used, 
truly there are things right now that exist that allow you to ask a computer to write you something, right? Hey, chat GPT, could you write me a job description for a video editor that focuses on this kind of content that's based in this area at this salary range? And you push a button and out comes a full job description with an explanation of what it is that you're looking for that you get to tweak and change. I actually, when I put up the thing in my stories that uh, artificial intelligence was part of our conversation, there are teachers that are having to confront this reality that their students at the high school and college level are now using AI to write papers for them. Lord help us, it's weird, it's crazy. Um, that you can fix anything, like if you, <laughs> have an old picture, this is crazy, that is a little pixelated, you can use AI to update your old pictures and make them crisp like they were taken in 4K. It's wild. You can find anything um, if you, in like a Google kind of way, but like if you are um, trying to find information, if you're interested in having a deeper understanding of literally anything, um, there is there's something in artificial intelligence that allows you access to it and, and and you can clip anything in the context of the room that we were sitting inside of where there are a lot of content creators, where there are a lot of um, people who have a presence online, whether it's on YouTube or otherwise, you can use artificial intelligence to mine your library and find what it perceives to be the best and most poignant sound bites so that you can use them in social media, so that you can use them in, you know, YouTube shorts. Um, it's just, it's a wild, I mean, wild, wild thing. Deb Matson Realtor asks, guidelines, rules, and protocols, biggest takeaways, your best impacts on the group. So the guideline rules and protocols, I think are specific to each individual mastermind group. The most important of them up front has to be that the things that are shared, the like private things that are shared, stay inside the room. And I appreciate that I just grabbed a couple of one-liners that uh, people shared. Um, these were not the personal intimate stories that uh, were, you know, the things you can't talk about. Um, but I think that confidentiality and protecting or creating at least a safe space for people is super, super important when you're thinking about what you want to try and create, because you want to create an intimate, safe space that lets people share in a meaningful way. Uh, Angie Sales Holmes asks, how do you decide what the right mastermind is for you? The headline is, it's probably going to be a little bit of you jumping into a mastermind or creating a mastermind and then seeing if it works or produces the result that you want. If it doesn't, giving yourself permission to stop. Um, you know, the, that mastermind that Rachel and I created back in 2016 or 17, it was great until it wasn't. And it was no commentary on the people that we were having our regular conversations with. It was that the kind of skills that we needed or the kind of influence that we were interested in changed after we'd gotten what we needed out of the group. And I still have massive love for the people that were in that initial mastermind, but as you continue to grow and as the problems you're trying to solve change, you're going to need to have a group that has a handle on those higher level problems if you want to continue to grow. Uh, Barbie Anderson 222 asks, did you have to pay to, to attend the event? 
outside of hotel and flights. I did not. Uh, this was, again, the generosity of Brendan Burchard trying to bring some good people together to get more goodness out in the world. Uh, would you ever host your own mastermind? And if so, what would be top tips for a leader? That's from Susie Lake Designs. You know, Heidi and I have uh, a mastermind as a part of the fitness community that we work, that we work on together in, in the Get Fit community. And it has been nothing short of amazing. I mean, it's just like, it's the coolest thing. There's, uh, you know, every other week, Heidi teaches, then someone from the outside comes in. Um, last time we had Mel Robbins, we had Amy Purdy, uh, Jack Canfield of Chicken Soup for the Soul. Um, but the idea of bringing in some experts from the outside was uh, part of the conceit of how we might take people through a journey for 10 weeks inside the community. And then we meet in person and have a, a full day of sharing and challenging and uplifting and encouraging. And it is magic, absolute magic. Uh, how do you find a high-level mastermind group? Well, I would tell you this. The people that were inside of this room, a lot of them have masterminds. And they do, for the most part, come with costs, like full disclosure. But they are extraordinary. And it just becomes a question of, of, of value exchange. Do you think that there is a price that you would put on having answers that might keep you from making mistakes? Or is there a price that you would put on having information that would help you grow faster? Is there a price you would pay for connection and community with people that are on or above the level that you're on to normalize what you're working through and encourage you when you run into trouble? If the answer is yes, I can't recommend a mastermind enough. And so I would just find like who, who's the teacher or what's the culture or the vibe of the teacher that you resonate with most and then see if there's an opportunity to participate in something. And if price ends up being an issue, find a free online community of like-minded people and ask six or seven of them if they're interested in creating a mastermind with you. Because you can, on Facebook or like in any online community, you can create your own within a day. You really can. Because people would, of course, love to be around like-minded people and the sharing of their insights or their mistakes or their learnings through their vulnerability, um, it's just a fast pass. I can't, I can't encourage it enough. Leah Keys asks, do you have to prep with your own info for this or just follow the content that Brendan shares? Um, I mean, I, I did a little bit of prep in attempting to set an intention for what I was hoping to get out of my experience there. And so I was really clear going in what I knew I needed. And here's the thing, like I, <laughs> I started my share by acknowledging another person in the room named Jeff Walker, who the last time we were together in that mastermind environment had represented that he was looking for inspiration to be excited about some of what he was working on again. And I just acknowledged that, man, I appreciated so much that he had shared that in the way that he had that last time we were together 18 months ago, because that was more than anything what I came for. I was looking to be inspired. I was looking to be reminded of why I loved doing what I've done in the last couple of years so much so that the insecurity or the fear or the things that have been blocks might melt away because of the inspiration. And so 
going in with that intention was part of how I think I was open to um, being as vulnerable as I was and being as open to receiving all of what I needed to have that cup of mine full. Fit with Smith, what fears did you work through before going? In super honesty, like there was never a question of going or not going because I consider these people, like they're my closest friends. They have been the people that I have called when I have needed someone to talk to in super dark moments. And God, they've just been so consistently present and supportive. Um, but I did have some reservations and had some intimidation around, oh, I don't have as many highlights to shout about. And I am still working on trying to be clear about what next actually looks like. And I do love being present in a community. And I actually do love um, anything that might offer me an opportunity to share some of my experiences in a way that might help other people. But I just need, I, I just need to be reminded that, uh, that I can, <laughs> for lack of a better word. So, you know, my fears of like, am I qualified because of some of the stuff that I've struggled with in the last couple of years? Am I qualified because of it having been harder than I would have liked? I like myself more. I am, I feel more connected to and um, in, in integrity with who I know myself to be than I maybe ever have. But I still, right, I still have a little bit of insecurity around how to approach all that next ends up entailing. And so what fears did I have? I had, I had fears that maybe I wasn't worthy to be in the room still, that maybe I needed to produce to get an invitation. And, um, and going, of course, immediately demolished the ridiculousness of that thought and the lies that come in <laughs> our, our insecurities. Um, it was just, it was ridiculous. Isaford 74 asks, <laughs> how is it just being friends with Heidi? It's great. Even if it's a little complicated, um, you know, like it's weird because like in a breakup, usually there isn't still <laughs> a significant amount of love that exists between two people that have decided to break up. And uh, there's still some there's still some love that exists. There's also just this practical acknowledgement that uh, we both are on our individual healing and growth journeys. We both have a deep desire to be present for our kids in the cities that we live inside of. And the beauty that was the couple of years of time that we were going back and forth from Texas to Arizona Um it was coming in the way in some respects of the continued journey that we're on for growth or the continued desire to be super present for our kids. I mean, we go week on week off with our kids, both of us, um, but our kids still have sporting events when they're at their other parents' house. They still have theater. They still have Taekwondo. They st I want to be the dad that gets to sit in the basketball stadium, even on a week when my kid isn't with me. You know, it makes it late. Does it make it harder? Sure. In some respects, because uh, the decision to go down this separate journey, of course, has a little bit of a what if this was the one? What if this was the thing? What if what if in taking our separate time, we don't find a way back to each other? Um, and so I just have to surrender to each of us knowing this is what's best and right for now. And that I still get to be friends with her and that we still get to hang out and laugh and have fun. Uh, it's icing on the cake. All right. I think that's it. I mean, at this point, I have no idea 
how long this podcast is because, like I said, I've started and stopped it in between theater, a trip to the vet, and a basketball game. But y'all, I am uh, super, super pumped <laughs> coming out of just this most incredible weekend. Uh, I am going to make good on the price of entry, which was the requirement to double down on goodness, on the spreading of light to the people that are inside of my community. So y'all better watch out. Uh, if you if you don't like light, it's time to it's time to turn turn me off because uh, I'm about to get back in this game and uh, and be the light that I know I was put here to be. And I'm excited about that. And I'm so appreciative to the people that came together this weekend and will be complicit. Their fingerprints will be on the goodness that comes because they were there. Uh, so with that, I hope you had a great uh, Thursday. Sawyer Hollis is done watching the A-Team. It's time to get this boy home, home for dinner. Uh, appreciate you all so, so much. I will see you on the next episode of the Rise Together podcast. See you next week, y'all. Well, thank you for listening to another episode. I appreciate you all being here so, so much. Before you go, I just want to make mention of one thing that I am so excited about. My daughter, Noah, and I have put together a delightful, an amazing, a wonderful children's picture book. It's based on the fun video series that we've done online called Tea Time with Noah, and it's called Here's to Your Dreams. It, uh, it comes out on November 8th, and it's a book that hopefully encourages children to be brave, to believe in themselves, to dream big. Uh, in this, our first adventure, Noah has this big dream of becoming a sea captain, she realizes in pursuing this dream that it's not all smooth sailing. She doesn't know how to captain, doesn't have a ship, doesn't know how to build one. And that process of having to learn and try and fail and get back up teaches her that she has so much of what she's always needed already inside of her. And that every time it didn't go her way, it equipped her with some skills that allowed her to be even stronger and more resilient and believe more in herself on the other side. Again, it's called Here's to Your Dreams. It comes out on November 8th, and you can get it anywhere books are sold. For more info, head to the link in the show notes or to here's to your dreams.com. <laughs>